1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m.
2: Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks look to keep that win streak alive as investor attention shifts from Friday's blowout jobs report to the latest reads on inflation. After a marathon weekend voterrama senate democrats pushing their sweeping climate and tax package across the finish line just yesterday we are live in dc with what's next and what it means for investors a story developing now china extending its military war games through monday as tensions with taiwan show no signs of easing a live report from the region coming up plus warren buffett's berkshire hathaway not immune to the recent market volatility as souring sales and surging sales not enough to help its bottom line. And then later on, Elon Musk looks to take on Twitter CEO Parag Agarwal outside the courtroom with a new weekend one-on-one challenge. What's that all about? It's Monday, August eighth, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu, And for Brian Sullivan today, let's kick off your Monday morning with U.S. equity futures right now pointing towards a positive open. The S&P 500 is coming off its third winning week in a row. And with Friday's close, the index is now equidistant between its 52-week high and 52-week low, about 14 percent from each level to be exact. Now, right now, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is applied higher by 57 points, Off the session highs, the S&P higher by roughly 10 points at the opening bell, and the Nasdaq up by around 55. So modest gains, at least to start the day, indicated right now. Better than the broader market, though, small caps continue to shine, with the Russell 2000 posting a nearly 2% gain last week and capping off its first three-week winning streak of 2022. You can see there the Russell small cap index up about three quarters of 1% in Friday's session, up about 2% over the class last week. Checking now on the bond market side of things, we are seeing yields obviously very much a big part of the discussion now in focus given that blowout Friday jobs report. The 10-year Treasury yield benchmark one just a hair below 2.98 per, or 2.8% right now. The two-year Treasury note yield 3.20% as things stand, so we'll keep an eye on that inversion that idea that the short-term rates are higher than the long-term rates. And in the oil market, with U.S. benchmark crude prices coming off its worst week since April, WTI crude $88.25, so now again still below that $90 mark, off about three-quarters of 1%. ICE Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, off about $0.80, $94.12, off about three-quarters of 1% as well. In cryptocurrencies, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether showing some signs of movement here to the upside. Bitcoin prices now above 24,000. 24,169 up 4% there. Roughly a similar percentage gain here for Ether prices. $1,775.42 there. Let's now check in on the global picture for markets. Jumana Bersechi is in our London newsroom with the early European trade. Good morning, Jumana.
3: Good morning to you, Dom. Well, European markets are building on from a positive start to the session with the stock 600 up about half a percentage point. Coming on from a weaker week last week, uh, the index as a whole ended the week down about six-tenths of a percentage point, so almost fully recuperating some of those losses. We got the FTSE 100 over here in the UK up about three-tenths of a percentage point, brushing off some of those uh, very gloomy Outlook uh, concerns raised by the Bank of England uh, at the meeting last week when they obviously hiked interest rates. 40 in France up about six-tenths of a percentage point, 35 points higher. Veolia is one of the names are watching there right at the top of that index. Zetchadaks in Germany also up about three-tenths of a percentage point. Interestingly there, the German regulator has actually warned that consumers may have to pare back their energy consumption by up to 20% this winter. Quick look at European sectors. This is the picture for the most part all of these sectors are pretty much trading in positive territory. Right at the top we've got tech stocks up 1.2 percentage point. The defensive real estate it's up 1.2 percentage point as well. And then on the downside, we've got banks down a fraction, two-tenths of a percentage point. Some of the Italian banks coming under pressure today after Moody's revised the outlook to negative for the country. But that is a picture overall, generally a more positive start to the week, Dom.
2: All right, Jumana Barsetti live in London with the latest there. Thank you very much to this morning's top story and Senate Democrats in a weekend-long voterama, if you will narrowly passing their sweeping climate, health and tax package, setting up what could be a key party victory ahead of the midterm elections. NBC's Chris Pallone joins us now live from Washington with the latest there. Chris, what can you tell us about what this means and what was actually done and the drama that
1: preceded it? Yeah, Dom, good morning. This is pretty remarkable when you think about it. Just two weeks ago, this bill was all but dead and now it's uh, passed After trying to pass climate change legislation for years and prescription drug reform, Senate Democrats finally got it done. At the Capitol, cheers and high fives for Democratic senators after they passed a cornerstone of President Biden's agenda, a $700 billion climate change health care and tax reform bill. It's a great win. Are you disappointed that it took till the very last minute here? Climate and seniors,
4: it's a big win.
1: After an all-night session of debate and amendment votes, the final vote ended up tied 50-50 with all Republicans opposed. Then Vice President Kamala Harris stepped in to hand Democrats the victory.
5: The Vice President votes in the affirmative and the bill as amended is
6: passed. We never gave up and here we are. We got it done.
1: The bill directs nearly $400 billion to fight climate change, the biggest investment in that area ever. Allows Medicare to negotiate prices on some prescription drugs, lowering costs for seniors and raises the minimum corporate tax on businesses, making more than a billion dollars a year to 15 percent. In a statement, President Biden said the bill would make government work for working families again.
0: This is an historic bill. (laughs) And there's no way it can be characterized as anything other than that.
1: An independent analysis projects the Inflation Reduction Act will have little immediate impact on inflation. So with an eye toward the midterm election, Senate Republicans predicted doom. Democrats passed this bill that's on the floor today.
7: This inflation crisis is going to get worse.
1: But with victory in hand, the Democrats headed into a month-long break, energized by a string of legislative successes. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said that that chamber will return from its recess on Friday to vote on this bill. It is likely to pass and then go to President Biden for his signature. Tom. So, 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 Chris, I I mean, many Americans
2: on Medicare, you mentioned that, will appreciate the new $35 cap on insulin prescriptions, other parts of the, 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 the legislation here. There was a chance that cap would apply to everyone who needs insulin. So, so what exactly happened to that part of the discussion when it came yeah. to this bill and legislation?
1: Yeah, Senate Republicans were able to strip that out because of par- parliamentary rules in the Senate. It did have to get to 60 votes. Seven Republicans did vote with all 50 Democrats and independents to try to keep that $35 cap for everyone in the bill. They felt three votes shy.
2: All right. Chris Pallone, live in Washington with the latest there. Thank you very much. Let's get to some of this morning's other top stories. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Good morning, Silvana.
8: Hey, Dom. Good morning. Federal Reserve Governor Michelle Bowman says she supports the central bank's recent rate hikes and thinks they should consider even more 75 basis point increases at upcoming meetings. Speaking at an event in Colorado over the weekend, Bowman says, quote, Similarly, sized increases should be on the table until inflation comes down in a consistent, meaningful and lasting way. Berkshire Hathaway operating profits, which accounts for its entire portfolio of businesses from insurance to ice cream, jumped nearly 40 percent in its most recent quarter to just over nine point two billion dollars. However, Berkshire has not been immune to the recent equity market volatility, posting a $53 billion loss on its investments during the same quarter. Other highlights from the report, Berkshire repurchased just $1 billion of shares in its second quarter, down from the $3.2 billion it bought in the same quarter one year ago. Its cash hoard held steady at just under $106 billion. And more than two-thirds of Americans, that's 69%, think the U.S. economy is getting worse, its highest measure since 2008, according to a new ABC News Ipsos poll. More findings? Americans' views of the president's handling of the economic recovery remain overwhelmingly negative and are virtually unchanged from the same poll in early June, with only 37% of Americans approving the job he is doing. The president's rating on inflation is even worse, with just 29% of respondents saying they approve, Dom.
2: All right, Silvana Hennell, thank you very much for those you headlines. We'll see you later on. Now to your money as we kick off a new week of stock trading. Equity futures right now showing some signs of life, pointing to a modest opening at the upside here following the S&P 500's third straight weekly gain. Investors now moving their attention to key inflation data, consumer price information coming up on Wednesday as they await any signals from red-hot inflation finally cooling down. And by the way, we get producer prices as well, business-level inflation. Joining me now is Ben Emmons, Managing Director at Medley Global Advisors. I I wonder, Ben, uh, the inflation narrative from a market's perspective and even from an anecdotal one at the grocery store at the gas station show signs of easing up. I know that I pay a lot less for gasoline than I did just maybe two or three or four weeks ago, But we are seeing signs in the job market, given that Friday blowout report that say the inflationary narrative could still be here for a while. Is anything going to change this week with the new inflation data?
9: Morning, Dom. Yeah, the data on Friday was particularly in the wage data that was obviously much stronger than expected. I think that still will keep that inflation narrative out there. But we can look forward at least to that CPI data to start cool off, the impact that the Fed has through the strengthening of the dollar onto commodity markets should show up in that number tomorrow. And I think that's the first step. And as the second let in, so the Fed is really determined now to bring interest rates up even further, perhaps at that 75 basis point pace of tightening, that I think the inflation narrative will start to shift because the more and more that short-term rate goes up and the more inverted the yield curve becomes, the more the market will probably take confidence in that this inflation will really start to cool off in a number of months. So I think we're gonna see the first sign of it at this CPI data tomorrow. Granted that we do have a very strong labor market with wage pressures.
2: So, so Ben, did the bond market get it right, so to speak? Uh, th- there was probably, a- in my kind of back of the envelope, just quick view of this, a, a 20 basis point, 0.2% spike in 10 year yields, right on the heels of that report coming out. Is it fair to say that the markets now do expect the Fed to be more aggressive, given what we're seeing in the interest rate market?
9: It certainly does, Dom. I think what happened, particularly after the FOMC meeting, initially people thought that the Fed was perhaps going to pivot to a slower pace of tightening. And as the Fed speakers came out and then the payroll data came out, that entire expectation was, what we say, repriced, right? So we brought it back up to a you know, two-year yield, close to three and a quarter percent That does reflect that the Fed's likely to move by 75 basis points in September. And likely it's going to stay that way, that expectation. I don't think there's much going to change in between. Even the, the Jackson Hole meeting that takes place, people think the Fed may announce something there, unlikely. So we're set for 75 basis points. And this is why, Dom, I think the 10-year yield in particular shows now signs of stabilizing it's sort of hanging at this 280. I think that's very important, by the way, for the stock market. If that's the case. There's more room for the stock market to appreciate if you have stable rates. All right, stable rate's a key part of that whole narrative. Ben
2: Emmons at Medley Global, thank you very much. We appreciate it. When we thank come you. back on the show, China keeping up the pressure on Taiwan following last week's visit by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. The latest in an already tense situation and what my next guest says could make it worse, worse for investors, plus, Elon Musk looking to take his gripe with Twitter from the boardroom to the debate hall, throwing down the gauntlet for Twitter CEO Parag Agrawal. And then later on, more trouble for Masason after another very rough quarter for SoftBank and his big Vision Fund. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break.
6: It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving
2: in and calling it home, Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, China's military announcing a fresh round of drills overnight in areas around Taiwan just one day after its largest ever military exercises had been scheduled to end. Eunice Yun joins us now with the latest on the saga and the drama. Eunice.
10: Thanks so much, Dom. Well, just moments ago, the foreign ministry said that the extension of the drills is a warning to the people making trouble perhaps the United States, though they didn't say that, and a punishment for those in Taiwan who favor independence. Now, China, in addition to extending those drills around Taiwan, has now added more drills in the area between China and the Korean Peninsula. So they're having these exercises, extended exercises, in the south of the Yellow Sea until August 15th, and in the Bohai Sea from August 8th, so from today for a month, now, state media said that the drills around Taiwan are meant to show that China has the ability to block foreign intervention. Uh, Taiwan officials have said that the exercises appear to be a simulation of an attack of the main island. And Taiwan, in response, has said that it's holding fresh drills on Tuesday and on Thursday. Now the US. side has said that it's tried to reach out to the Chinese side but that the Chinese have been rejecting their calls. Of course, if you remember, China said that it was going to cut off its military exchanges with the U.S. and in fact defended that decision, uh, saying that the U.S. bears serious consequences. Uh, State media say that they are now threatening sanctions on Lithuania because a a Lithuanian delegation arrived in Taiwan over the weekend. Dom?
2: You, Yunus, you mentioned this, uh, this idea that China says these new extensions for drills are, are, are meant to, in one way, punish those people who want independence. When, there's got to be some kind of an impact, right? Is there any impact from these drills, the associated ripple effects uh, on business in Taiwan or, or, or business in the region?
10: Well, absolutely and in fact a lot of the airlines as well as um, shippers had paused a bit because they were worried about these these exercises however it looks as though air traffic is starting to resume this is despite the fact that these um, exercises have been extended also cargo shippers have said that they have now tentatively uh, started to go back towards the area around taiwan however there is another impact of the kind of uncertainty around Taiwan is that, and that is for business here in China, because uh, there have been more and more reports about uh, the Chinese customs really going after companies that what they consider mislabel Taiwan for shipments. So for example, uh, the media has been reporting that of course what is approved is not to call Taiwan a country. That's of course the worst thing, but then Beijing approves Taiwan, China or Chinese Taipei, but does not want to see Republic of China or Taiwan on its own on any labeling. So we're already seeing the impact on business, not only, again, around the um, the roots around Taiwan, but also here in the mainland and then, of course, on Taiwan itself.
2: All right. Eunice Yun with the latest there on the ground in China. Thank you very much, Eunice. Joining me now for what all of this means for investors is Oliver Wyman's head of risk and public policy, Daniel Tannenbaum. He's also a senior fellow with the Atlantic Council and a former Treasury official as well. Uh, uh, Dan, good morning to you. You heard Eunice's report. This is a situation where you're talking about the world's second biggest economy, second only to the United States. Just how much of an issue or how worried should we be about China versus Taiwan?
0: Thanks, Tom. I think. We've seen this kind of trend of issues and, and challenges between the U.S. and Taiwan for the last few years. I mean, you certainly can't forget the, the bluff and bluster of the Trump administration and a lot of the issues uh, that came about there. I do think you know, what we've seen for the most part in China's response to the events of the last week um, are in line with some of the, the measured responses that they've taken uh, to some of the threats previously. It does seem like the U.S. is is certainly holding back and letting China essentially blow off steam as a result of Speaker Pelosi's visit last week. But there are a number of newer sanctions that the U.S. have imposed, albeit quietly, that could further ratchet up tensions again. Uh, These include bans on imports from Xinjiang related to concerns on forced labor but I think it is important to note, especially in a time um, where we're just watching the continued invasion of Ukraine from Russia, that China isn't Russia uh, as it relates to some of what could happen as the next step.
2: China isn't Russian. It's probably a good thing because China is a much more formidable economic force right now than Russia is. There, there's got to be a, 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 at least a hint of caution that investors have to approach this with because We know that between China and Taiwan, they do control a lot of the technology supply chain, specifically, as well as others. The business impact is going to be big. What exactly are you telling clients now about how they should navigate this, given those tensions and supply chain issues that are already strained?
0: I think we've already seen a move towards supply chain resiliency and working with clients to look for alternative sources. I think when you look at the semiconductor space, especially between China and Taiwan and the volume of production that's made there, that would be a difficult challenge to replace uh, in the interim. But we are seeing companies that are preemptively developing exit plans for Taipei, much like they did for Ukraine I, I do think some of those might be preemptive, obviously, as is, is I think the concern might be against still of threats uh, beyond actions from a, a China standpoint. I mean, it, let's also remember, I mean, China and the U.S. are the largest trading partners of the other. So I, I do think that China has recognized that there is limited benefit to them from continued escalation, much like they've stayed off the sidelines of the Ukraine Russia's situation for the last few months to further antagonizing essentially the West and most of humanity. So, I mean, there is caution and worry to watch what's happening. But I think Taiwan is just one of many issues included with delisting threats for Chinese listed companies in the U.S. and additional import bans that could further escalate things. But I'm not sure if the the situation in Taiwan is enough to to really spook investors um, in isolation.
2: Daniel Tannenbaum at Oliver Wyman, thank you very much. We appreciate your thoughts. Still on deck for the show. Forget hard landing, forget soft landing. Why our next guest is preparing her portfolio for a moderate landing. Plus the stock pick she's adding to it on the back of those views. We are back after this break.
0: Today's big number, 71%. That was the increase in average spending on grocery products at discount stores from October 21 through June, according to InMarket. Spending on those items at grocery stores declined by 5% as consumers look for ways to cut essential costs to offset
1: inflation.
4: A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it, between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are.
2: Welcome back. Let's get to check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the
6: latest. Good Monday morning, Philip. Good morning, Dom. A ceasefire between Israel and Palestinian militants is still holding this morning after three days of intense fighting. Officials say at least 44 people were killed in Gaza and hundreds more injured. Fighting broke out Friday when Israel launched missiles to stop what it said was an imminent Palestinian attack. President Biden is leaving his COVID isolation after more than two weeks. He's heading to Eastern Kentucky with First Lady Dr. Jill Biden to tour the damage left behind from last month's deadly floods. The Bidens will join Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir and his wife, Brittany, in visiting families affected by the devastation. The president has increased federal funding to Kentucky to ensure the government will fully cover debris removal and other emergency measures. And if you're up at this hour, you might love the idea of getting paid to take a nap. That's exactly what Casper, the mattress company, is doing. According to a job listing, they are offering part-time hours and pay for people to sleep inside their stores and, quote, unexpected settings out in the world. The dress code is pajamas, and applicants must be willing to be featured in social media content. It is great work if you can get it, Dom.
2: I, I, I'm not going to say anything because my bosses are probably listening right now but it seems like a good side gig for me
6: (laughs) it is i'll I'll say it i would pay for a good nap right around now i got a six month old at home
2: that's what you need (laughs) believe me i I can feel your pain philip thank you very much we appreciate it we'll see you soon you got ahead on the show tamping down recession talk what online hiring giant indeed.com thinks about the big friday blowout jobs report and what it could mean for the market and the fed's next move And by the way, if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Wall Street looking to keep its winning streak alive as investor attention shifts from Friday's blockbuster jobs report back to inflation this week. DC drama in full swing after a weekend long Votorama that handed Senate Democrats a key legislative victory ahead of the midterm elections. But will it move the needle on President Biden's approval ratings? And Berkshire Hathaway not immune to the recent market rout. what Warren Buffett is telling his faithful investors. It's Monday, August 8th, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic in for Brian Sullivan on this Monday morning. It's just around 5.32 a.m. Eastern Time, and here's how markets and your money are looking right now. Futures indicating a modestly higher opening, 57 points higher for the Dow, the S&P higher by roughly 10, and 46 points for the tech-heavier NASDAQ trade. So again, modest gains at the opening bell with stocks trying to extend their winning streak. Treasury yields are ticking just a little bit lower this morning after a big run-up post-jobs report. The 10-year Treasury note yield just a hair below 2.8 percent. Benchmark two-year note yields 3.20 percent. So again, that inversion is still in play where long-term rates are below short-term ones. Oil prices still moving to the downside even this morning as well. U.S. benchmark WTI West Texas Intermediate, eighty-eight dollars and forty-five cents. That's fifty-six cents to the downside, roughly two-thirds of one percent losses there. Similar percentage loss for world benchmark ICE Brent crude futures, which are ninety-four dollars and thirty-five cents. And Nat gas price is just a hair below seven, spot nine zero right now. Now to some of this morning's top stories. Silvana Hinau is back with those. Hi, Sylvana.
8: Hello, Dom. Well, bankrupt crypto lending platform Celsius is pulling its motion to hire former CFO. Rog Bolger backed at $92,000 a month, this according to a court document. He technically remains an employee of the company. The decision to halt the hiring process comes just days after CNBC first reported on the request by Celsius to enlist the help of Bolger as a consultant during its bankruptcy process. Two big Indiana employers are speaking out about the state passing new legislation to restrict access to abortions. Eli Lilly employs about 10,000 people in the state, says it worries the law will hurt the drug maker's ability to, in its words, attract diverse scientific engineering and business talent from around the world and therefore will plan for more employment growth outside its home state. Engine manufacturing company Cummings, which also employs about 10,000 people in Indiana, made similar comments about its Indiana workforce. And Elon Musk is challenging the CEO of Twitter to a public debate about fake accounts and spam. In a tweet Saturday afternoon, Musk says Agarwal could use the platform to prove Twitter has less than 5% fake or spam daily users. The challenge by Musk was the culmination of a series of tweets that started just before 1 a.m. Saturday morning when Musk was interacting with a fan about the ongoing lawsuits over his terminated bid to take Twitter private, Dom.
2: All right, Sylvana Hinau, thank you very much for those headlines. You got it. To Washington, D.C., where Senate Democrats passed the Inflation Reduction Act in a very narrow vote along party lines. Maybe no surprise there. Ilan Moy joins us now with the details there. Good morning, Ilan.
7: Well, good morning, Dom. Democrats are claiming victory this weekend after finally getting their health care and climate package through the Senate. The vote was 50-50, every Democrat in favor and every Republican against Vice President Kamala Harris broke the tie. Afterwards, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer told reporters he believes this bill will pay off at the polls.
6: They're going to see Democrats are actually getting things done that matter to them, mainstream things that average folks. This is not an esoteric list. This is things that people have always cared about.
7: Now, Keeping the caucus unified was tricky, though, all the way to the end. Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema, along with several vulnerable Democrats, supported a last-minute carve-out for private equity from the new 15% corporate minimum tax. That change would have been paid for by extending the cap on state and local tax deductions through 2026, a poison pill for some Democrats. So the solution? Democrats kept the carve-out for private equity, but voted to pay for it by extending loss limitations for pass-throughs for two years, rather than by using salt. Now, the House will come back into session on Friday to pass this bill. Then it'll go over to the president's desk. Dom, Biden did acknowledge yesterday that this bill required many compromises, but he said important things always do. Back over to you.
2: So, Ilan, so are, are, are there any final roadblocks before this deal can hit President Biden's desk? Could this move the needle on the president's economic approval numbers because we know just how bad they've been and how bad they've been for a while now.
7: Yeah, so this bill does look like it's on a glide path to becoming law at this point. Progressives in the House have not made much noise about all the things that were left out of the bill. So Democrats are really hoping to hammer home this message uh, that they can deliver legislative achievements, not just the Inflation Reduction Act, but also the CHIPS bill, the infrastructure law, gun reform, Finland and Sweden becoming part of NATO, all the stuff around Ukraine and Russia. So they are hoping that this message— can win them over voters once they get to the midterm elections in November. And certainly if President Biden's approval ratings improve, as we see this bill getting passed and gas prices starting to fall, that can have a trickle down effect on both uh, Senate and House races in the fall.
2: All right. The midterms is a key there. Elon Moy, thank you very much for that. There's been plenty of hand-wringing this year about whether the economy is heading for a recession with inflation at around 40-year highs, and consumers and companies trying to pull back on spending. But you'd be hard-pressed to find signs of a downturn in, of course, the labor market, as employers seemingly keep hiring in droves. Over the past three months, employers have added an average of 437,000 jobs per month. Let's talk more about what some of these conflicting trends are like in the market and the economy with Anne Elizabeth Conkle. She's an economist at the Indeed Hiring Lab, Uh, It's important because Indeed is one of the biggest online job sites out there. And Elizabeth, I I wonder, where is the disconnect? Why are we seeing this job market remain as resilient as it is, given all of the other negative commentary and narratives in the economy and market right now?
5: So, uh, Friday's jobs report was incredibly strong, and I think it goes back to consumer spending. The American consumer continues to spend, and that is allowing dollars to flow into businesses, and in turn, those businesses are hiring. We saw that in July, the U.S. economy added over half a million jobs, so it's unequivocal that employer demand for workers remains strong. This is good news for workers, too. With the unemployment rate at a 50-year low, it puts them in a very good position to find employment as well as capitalize on nominal wage gains.
2: So those wage gains, I, I, I think, and many would agree, were, were probably some of the jarring stats, right, with regard to that jobs report that we saw on Friday. If this is the situation that we can see wages continue to grow to the way that they are, And if the inflation narrative later on this week with CPI and PPI data starts to show a leveling off, does it feel like that jobs environment can keep that positive momentum going if people are making more than inflation in say the next year to two?
5: So I think that's kind of the big question we're all waiting for come Wednesday with the CPI report. Um, If we see an inflation print that is cooling, That is good news to have cooler inflation and a strong labor market. If we see inflation continue to be hot, um, as well as a very hot labor market, that makes the Fed's job very difficult. And in that case, I would say we probably are going to expect more steep rate hikes hikes ahead.
2: And and one of the other things that, that catches my attention, I mean, I work in news And oftentimes, over the course of the last several weeks now, we've seen headlines of companies either announcing layoffs or hiring freezes or outright rescinding job offers that have already been granted. That doesn't seem to be showing up in the jobs data from the government side of things, from the labor department. Is it really a worry right now, the layoff situation?
5: So there have been plenty of anecdotes about layoffs circulating, but it looks like in aggregate layoffs remain low. If a worker does experience a layoff, they should be able to capitalize in this strong labor market and transition to another job quickly. This uh, jobs report showed us that there is a little bit more churn happening in the labor market right now. Um, the, The flow from employment to unemployment ticked up a little bit, but also the job finding rate for unemployed workers went up as well. And so that idea they are able to transition to a new job quickly a lot of the layoff anecdotes have been from the tech sector um and we saw in Friday's report that information the information industry also added jobs and so it's clear that uh, particularly tech is not Going off a cliff, maybe there is a bit of a slowdown there, um, but in aggregate, um, we are not seeing that layoff damage show up in the data.
2: And Anne-Elizabeth, before we let you go, there's a, a very big debate, certainly in, in, in the business and kind of Wall Street side of things, and certainly on the Main Street side of things, with regard to whether or not America is in a recession. So in your thought and opinion, Anne-Elizabeth, is America In a recession?
5: Right now, we are not in a recession. The labor market is incredibly strong. And for uh, the the jobs report to show that we added over half a million jobs, it is just not possible to have that strong of a labor market and be in a recession.
2: All right. And Elizabeth Conkle, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Coming up on the show, this morning's big money movers, including CVS Health, reportedly making a play to expand in home health services. But first, as we head out to break, some of your other headlines this morning. The California DMV is accusing Tesla of deceptive practices in marketing autopilot and full self driving options. In the worst case scenario for the automaker, it could temporarily lose its licenses to operate as a manufacturer and dealer in the Golden State. Baidu has won approval for autonomous ride-hailing services in two Chinese cities. It's the first Chinese company to obtain such permits and regulatory approval. And a quick check right now on futures as we head out to break. Right now, the Dow is high by 57 points, the S&P by about 9, and the Nasdaq up by roughly 45 points. Stay tuned. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. First up, you've got SoftBank. The Japanese conglomerate is posting a $23 billion loss in the second quarter as the value of its investments in its vision fund sank. Those include AI firm Sensitive and Robotics Company, Auto Store Holdings, amongst some of those other ones, to raise cash. SoftBank has sold its stakes in Uber and Opendoor for a gain of around $5.6 billion. So again, SoftBank shares, big loss, but it's up in Tokyo trading. Stock number two is Berkshire Hathaway, another conglomerate. The company reporting a nearly $44 billion loss in the second quarter as its stock holdings also tumbled in value. Berkshire did generate more than $9 billion in operating profits as gains from reinsurance operations and railroads offset losses at Geico. The company had also slowed purchases of its stocks, although it still has around $105 billion in cash. To deploy, And then finally, CVS Health, the Wall Street Journal reports it's planning to make a bid for Signify Health as it looks to expand into in-home care. Signify, which has a market cap of just around $4.7 billion, is exploring its options, including a possible sale. Initial offers were due earlier this week. You can see those shares for CVS down about a quarter of a percent. Signify up about 18 percent pre-market. On deck for the show. Inflation data will once again be front and center for investors this week. We will get you ready for that CPI and PPI report. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Spotify, check us out on Apple, your podcast app of choice, Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We've got a very busy week ahead and here's everything you should be watching for Earnings today, we got AIG, Take Two Interactive. On Tuesday, you got one from Coinbase and Wind Resorts and Capri Holdings as well. Wednesday from Disney and Fox Corp., and then Thursday from Siemens and Rivian, among others. We'll also get, of course, that big CPI report, consumer prices on Wednesday along with Fed speeches from Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari and Chicago Fed President Charles Evans on Thursday. Then we'll get initial jobless claims and the PPI, business-level inflation reports, on Thursday. And then to finish off the week, as if that wasn't enough, you've got consumer sentiment on Friday. So a lot of potential catalysts on the calendar on the micro and macro picture to drive what's going to happen in the markets. Futures right now, by the way, indicating what could be a modestly higher open here. The Dow still implied higher by roughly about 55 to 60 points. You can see here the S&P up by about nine and the Nasdaq up by 40 points. If you look at some of the mega cap technology and related trade, look at Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet shares over the course of the last one-month period. We are seeing at least some real outperformance in shares of Apple. So could that have been the place a lot of people decided to buy the dip as things kind of moved to the downside given valuation concerns and interest rates? Microsoft up about 6% of that one-month period, and Alphabet lagging after outperforming at certain pockets over the course of the last year-to-date period. But Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet. Keep an eye on Apple perhaps a barometer of investor sentiment right now. Also, 10-year note yields playing a big role in that discussion, whether valuations can be justified higher going forward over the last year. You can see at 2.8%, we are still just on a little bit of a downtrend here from the highs that we saw, nearly 3.5% just over the course of the last couple of months. So with interest rates seemingly, at least for now, on the decline, could that at least put a little bit more wind in the sails for the market? Or... Are we heading higher now because of that inflation narrative? Let's bring in Tiffany McGee, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Pivotal Advisors. She is also a CNBC contributor. Tiffany, I wonder from an investing perspective, if that interest rate story, at least moving to the downside now, is enough for you to feel comfortable investing in the market right now and are valuations at a fair level right now, or do they still need to pull back even more?
4: So. Good morning, Don. It's good to see you. So, first of all, I always feel comfortable investing in the market. Uh, I'm a long term investor. And so, if you, uh, and and, uh, at Pivotal, we invest for foundations and endowments. So, we always have to be comfortable. And so, I think the, the, the bigger thing is how do you navigate a market like this, right? With interest rates. And then, of course, we were talking about the jobs report. That was released just last week. And I think that is, you know, it, it really is uh, challenging. Um, you know, questions that are coming up that, that have come up, of course, is this the bottom? Are we in recession? I believe the answer is no, just like your last guest. Um, but how do you navigate that? And I think that, you know, um, when, when we're, we're thinking about valuations, I think we've got to think about two things. What are we interested in buying, right? What do you have conviction around? So when it comes to like your large stocks, like, for us, staples like the, like, like the Microsoft Apples of the world. Um, you know, we're always gonna own those at our firm. Um, we have a long-term conviction around those. So it really just depends on whether we think we can get a better price. And we've been adding to those positions all year long. But in terms of portfolio positioning overall, um, you know, we're doing a couple of different things, right? So we are still overweight equities, um, but we're selectively adding growth as well.
2: So if you're selectively adding growth, What types of growth are you looking for? Is it straight up in technology? Is it in those mega cap names that you talked about? Are you trying to find alpha, Mm -hmm. some outperformance in those growth names in other parts of the market, in the small and mid cap space? Where would you be looking right now and what's what's on the shopping list?
4: So a few things. So first of all, in that discussion of you know whether the the Fed is going to have a soft landing uh, or maybe just like more of a cushy landing, we don't really know, right? So I think to kind of play both sides, you really want to think about uh, both cyclicals and defensives here, kind of broadly. Um, but in terms of selectively adding growth, we we always like to invest along themes, and so we're looking at the fact that you know in 2020 you know new business applications hit an all time high, and then in 2021 we broke that record, and so we're seeing this shift in terms of people starting new businesses. You know, the side hustle is real. um, And we're seeing companies like a Squarespace, um, like, you know, a HubSpot and and Braze really kind of meet those customers, those who are starting new businesses where they are and help them to engage with their customers and help them to um, really uh, meet their customers where they are and be successful. So we're seeing that those, those companies are really doing well right now.
2: All right, so, so driving kind of like that consumer uh, trade, trying to get people more involved in the purchase decision and everything else, and the companies kind of in- engage in that, that. That's okay. Thematically, that's great. We also mentioned this idea of the hard landing, right? We've been trying to figure out whether the Federal Reserve can engineer a soft landing, that is to say, a, a decent-sized slowdown in the economy without a full-blown recession. Do you believe that the most likely outcome... Given what the Fed is doing right now and given where the economy is right now and given what we've just done politically in Washington with the Inflation Reduction Act, on balance, does that mean America is headed for a hard or a soft landing?
4: So my best guess is that we're somewhere in the middle, right? And I know it's probably not what you want to hear. But, you know, at first, you know, when you think about it, the the Fed really does not have a great track record of soft landings. And so, you know, they really have to kind of calibrate the, the tightening just enough to bring down inflation without throwing the economy into a full recession. That's really not easy. And remember, they have this dual mandate. They have maximum sustainable employment, uh, excuse me, unemployment. But then they also have price stability. when you you look at inflation readings, those are lagging indicators. And so Powell said that they're not going to um, shift their policy until they see, you know, sustained uh, inflation come down. And he's going by those inflation readings. But I think that there's some things that we can look at uh, beforehand, um, that are more current indicators. So, you know, we're seeing some more real-time indicators. We're seeing commodity prices come down, oil prices come down, shipping costs come down. And the question is, is the Fed going to kind of pause rate hikes, uh, kind of shift, uh, shift their thinking and pause rate hikes if they see some of these indicators continue to come down?
2: All right. A, a, a complex narrative for sure. Tiffany McGee at Pivotal, thank you very much. We'll see you soon. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Check out futures right now because we are seeing what look, looks, looks like at least some modest gains at the opening bell. The Dow's implied higher by 65 points. The S&P higher by 9 The Nasdaq at just about 43 points to the upside.
1: That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live, weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC.
4: Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's
10: what Realtors do. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.